Bibles with you, please turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. Fellow dads, I'll tell you exactly what I told the mothers on Mother's Day in regards to preaching a Father's Day sermon to you. Father's my message this morning to you and to me is this. Christ is for you. For you. He's forgiven you all your sins. He will never leave you or forsake you. And all that you failed in and all that you succeeded in has been overridden forever by Jesus Christ. They have nothing to do with whether or not He accepts you. Be at peace and at rest because it is finished. That's my Father's Day message. It leads perfectly into the theme of this passage this morning. So let me pray and we'll pick up Romans 14 and verse 13 today. Father, we are thankful that You are our Father. And that no one else, Father, is like You are. Lord, we ask, I ask that You would help me preach this morning for the sake of Your name. Here in the midst of Your people, I pray that You would soften every single heart in this room, even the hardest ones, to receive Your good and perfect Word this day. Help me preach in a way that will not get in the way of this, but only serve it and facilitate it, if You will be with me and give me the ability and power to do so, because I do not have it. So, Lord, I ask for a miracle of Your grace in the preaching and in the listening of this message. In the name of Jesus Christ, and by hope in Him we pray. Amen. Picking up in verse 13 of Romans 14 this morning. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Paul teaches us here that the believer who does not live under too many self-imposed rules and regulations that God did not impose on us is blessed in verse 22. It's a blessing from God to not constantly feel condemned for eating and drinking things that He did not forbid. 
It's a blessing because it's one of the most tangible and practical ways we can live with the joy that comes from knowing God is for us in Christ. The opposite of the happy and blessed one in Romans 14 is the one plagued with doubts and uncertainties about such things. Constantly putting themselves under condemnation they don't need to and imposing things on themselves that they don't need to. The difference between the two, the blessed one in the context of Romans 14 and the one played by doubt in Romans 14, is whether we are living by faith in God for all of our salvation or by still trusting at least a little bit in our works to actually commend us to God. Now, the big issue in Romans 14 is how those more bold in their freedom and those less bold should be treating one another within the body of Christ. We will always have both among us. Some more bold in their freedom, some less bold in their freedom. And since verse 12 told us, you remember that each one of us will give an account of themselves to God and not anyone else. Verse 13 now commands us not to pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. In other words, the bolder in their freedom cannot deliberately trip up the less bold or do or say anything to them that keeps them from seeing Christ. The less bold cannot deliberately trip up the bold or keep them from seeing Christ. And both groups have the tendency to pass judgment on another, actually. We both do that. The bolder and the less bold. The stronger in their freedom tend to look down on, make fun of, criticize the less free, which is judging them. You know, judging them for not getting the gospel that apparently the free, the, the way that the freer apparently do. While the less free will look down on, criticize, and judge those who are more free for being too frivolous and not sincere enough with their faith. Now, there is an objective doctrinal truth when it comes to matters of conviction, where uh, there, there is a standard in the Bible by which the Christian ought to make the or, or come to their own convictions, right, about such things. There is a verse that tells us very clearly how we should feel about matters of Christian freedom and personal convictions, if we want to call them that. And it's here in the first part of verse 14. Look there again. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Paul is telling us objectively from God, this is not only revelation to him from Jesus, but he believes this in his own life. This is how Paul conducts himself and comes to his own conclusions about things, who he eats with, where he goes, what he will drink, things like this. Objectively, He tells us the root of the problem for us in what we eat and drink, which again is the issue in context. The fact that Gentile believers were still eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols, which meant they were still going to pagan festivals where they could eat such things and buying from non-Christians and pagan people. They were drinking things like wine as a part of these celebrations and festivals as a part of their life, while their Jewish Christian brethren in Rome were still struggling to enjoy things that previously to them had been forbidden by God under the law before Christ. And Paul says, the root of this problem is not the meat or who it was sacrificed to, 
or the wine and fermented grapes or hops or barley, however you want to say it, rather the problem, the reason these things can become so dangerous, that's in us. We're to blame. Everything God made is good. Right? Everything God made is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. First Timothy 4.4, Paul says there. So, God didn't make a mistake. Right? He's not tempting us. God does not tempt us to do evil. So, God didn't make a mistake when He created the world and science and biology and grapes that could ferment and all these types of things and meat that could be eaten. So, He didn't put us behind the eight ball by creating cattle and pigs and all these things we can eat or drink. We, on the other hand, corrupt everything God made. Even the animals. Even vegetables and fruits and all these things in biology and turn what was good into something awful for ourselves and usually for others. But the doctrine that should be shaping our attitudes and actions towards such things is this. Nothing is unclean in itself. That's not the problem. The things God made are not the problem. That's just that's like blame, blaming women because you can't control your own lust. Right? That's blaming God for your sinfulness. Right? And you can apply that to any, anything like this. We corrupt everything that God has made. Everything. And turn what was good into something terrible for us and for others. We are unclean. We're the unclean thing. We can turn good things into bad things. But, Paul then says in the second part of verse 14, it is, nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Now that's very powerful. There is a measure in which God says, look, you decide these things and don't, he says over, Paul says in verse Corinthians, don't violate your own conscience. And for some folks, something is clean, but for another person, it's unclean, and they shouldn't go near it, shouldn't touch it, all these things. For them, that thing is unclean. To the extent, as Paul's going to draw out here, that if they were thinking it's unclean to partake of it, feel like they're sinning. Feel like they're sinning against God. Our conscience may make things an issue that aren't an issue objectively, but they are subjectively in Scripture. In verse 15, Paul tells the freer Christians in Rome, the ones who can eat and drink what they please, that because they have brothers and sisters who do think eating and drinking such things is a sin, that when they go on and do it anyway, without a care in the world for their brothers and sisters who don't, or for how it might affect them, he says you're no longer walking in love, which is what we should be getting after here. It is not loving to be uncaring about those who are not as free as we may be. That is sin. It's not that the freer cannot categorically eat or drink what they please. Paul's not undoing everything he's been saying. It's that they can't do those things in an unloving way that will grieve their brothers and sisters who can't do those things without believing they're sinning. The tone and content of verses 13 through 24 let us know that this was a major issue in the freedom discussion at this time. For these Christians, it appears the freer brothers and sisters who most likely had not been raised under the law, which has a lot to do with why they feel more free, 
were scorning and even judging those who could not partake in what they were able to partake of with a clean conscience. That, being like that, thinking like that, flaunting it, is not loving. And he says, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died by what you eat. Does Paul mean that if one ate meat and their abstaining brother or sister happened to see them, it would undo their salvation, destroy their soul? No. What he means is that to unlovingly disregard one who is not as free as you can be so hurtful to the less free one that you can make them feel like they're less, like maybe they don't have faith at all. Now, Paul would go on to make the argument here that this is why we ought to keep matters of freedom between ourselves and God. Ideally, that's where we want to be. And don't flaunt it, not caring who sees or who hears. That's not who we are anymore. We don't live like that. The freer believer can eat and drink as he or she sees fit. But there is a way of enjoying freedom that can actually be spoken of as evil by those who aren't there yet. So it's as simple as this to the freer believers in Paul's audience in this room. Don't gloat. Don't gloat. Don't act like the fact that you have no issue with wine, for example. Show that you're just so much better off than the one who does have an issue with wine. I've told you all before, I I don't have a conviction against drinking wine. But please don't think that I think that makes me some super Christian. It most certainly does not. I don't even like wine, so it's not really a big deal. In this area, then, maybe I'm freer. But in many other ways, too many other ways, I am still a slave to my sinful flesh. So if, if, if someone thinks something is a sin, and we make it an issue of true faith or something, You're going to destroy that person. You're going to harm them. That is, you're going to make them struggle with their identity. You see how Paul words that here? The one for whom Christ died. Don't do anything that gives them a reason to think that's not who they are. Right? We can do that in our tone towards other believers and in the way we might enjoy our freedom. Just not caring or mindful of others at all. Jesus doesn't want any of us to not know who we are in Him. Especially over something as inconsequential and unimportant in the grand scheme as meat and drink. Especially over such insignificant things. Because here's what's really true in verse 17. Here's what's really going on in this thing called church. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Yes, right, of course. How have we come to be what the Holy God of the universe considers righteous? How have we sinners come to have peace with this God against whom we've all sinned and rebelled? What is the source of our joy in the Holy Spirit of God while we still live in these bodies of death in a world that hates our God and therefore hates us? How do we get all of this that the kingdom of God is about? How did that come to us? Our justification by grace through faith alone apart from works on account of Christ. And that is what the kingdom of God is a matter of. The justification of the ungodly. Not the personal rules and standards or 
lack thereof of the people in it. Christianity's not even about the life we live after we get saved. That's not the good news the world needs to see or hear. It will be happening to you. The Spirit changes us and draws us closer to Christ and draws us closer to the truth and gives us desires for God that we didn't have before. But that's not what this is really about. This isn't our story about Him. It's His story about us and who He is for us. The kingdom of God should be characterized by what Christ has done for sinners, not what sinners are trying so hard to do, even if they mean well, for Him. Social media has given a voice to everyone. Everyone. And some people don't need a voice. Some people don't need to be allowed to say whatever they think and whatever they feel, and I'm not arguing for censorship. I'm arguing for the good of mankind. Some people don't need to be heard. Right? Some of the people that don't need to be heard, and I hate to say it, are Christians that think social media is their platform to lecture everybody about what kind of life they should be living. And I bring this up in context because I read a this super long thread the other night on Friday about the issue of consent in marriage. Okay? And just just not go too I, I don't want to get bogged down here. But but basically here's the thing. This gentleman runs a podcast, so he uh, people are listening to him every week, things like that, and, and every day, and so he has a lot to say. Um, you know, if, if you if you have this, you know, I I used to be a blogger. You know, you, you used to do that. You used to say, I, I feel like I need to tell you this today. And so you just write paragraphs about any given subject. And so basically what he's arguing for in light of how wicked the world is right now is that really, because there's a lot of talk about consent, right? And of course, the, the, the biggest conversation comes in matters of sexual assault and things like that. And, uh, but, but consent is a big thing now. You know, do, do you have the consent to film me? Do you have consent to... Like, touch me, whatever it is, right? That's a no-brainer. Like, we don't need 50 paragraphs. If somebody says no, you stop. doesn't matter who it is. And the argument in the blog was that consent is this thing that pagan women have come up with to get away from their responsibilities as women. Now, that's evil. And it's dangerous. And you have a man that has the Bible in front of him, an audience every week of who knows how many, implying that in a Christian marriage, consent kind of goes out the window. Okay? I'm not going to preach about how absolutely horrible that is, although I hope it's clear. Like, no means no, and you know that when you're a baby. So, like, okay. Here's the problem. Here's the real issue. And I don't know the guy, and it's easy for me to tee off on him, and I'm sure if he listened to something I said, he could tee off on me. I'm simply saying in context here, what are we doing lecturing the world or pontificating about consent when we have this gospel? Why, the world doesn't need to know what I think about that. If my wife or my kids or, or my church, if, if we're talking about it or questions have come up and we're discussing the issue, that's fine. But beloved, we have the gospel. How you feel about consent, how you feel about who you vote for and all these issues have nothing to do with saving you and have nothing to do with your righteousness before God. Like, when you have a platform to speak, speak Christ or go home. 
Spurgeon said that. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and don't preach again until you have something worthwhile to say. We have something so worthwhile for the world. It, it begs the question, why are we talking about anything else? Both sides in the freedom debate are missing the boat of what Christianity is all about if our Christian experience is defined by the freedom debate on either side. That's not what God would have us constantly talking about and focusing on and dealing with. We've been forgiven. We've been justified. We're going to be resurrected. Verse 18 here. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. That is, whoever by God's grace refuses to pass judgment on their brother or sister for how they choose to live. Whoever refuses to deliberately and uncaringly be a stumbling block or hindrance to another over what they consider clean or unclean. Whoever by God's grace does not try to destroy another for whom Christ died not caring for them, not loving them by their actions, such a one is glorifying God with their lives and is a blessing rather than a burr in the saddle to others in the church of Jesus Christ. The, the word thus in verse 18 comes out of what you read in verse 17. Whoever serves Christ based on verse 17, based on what the kingdom of God is for people, they are approved by God. They are a blessing to others. Verse 19, so then, let us all together, the free and the less free, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And here's the issue, really. This is why Paul is taking a whole chapter to discuss things that he's also saying, look, we, we don't need to be talking about this all the time. Okay? That's, that's what he's saying. And here's why. Here's the issue in verse 19. This is what he really wants to say. Stop doing this. Get away from this discussion with each other. That's not what we're about. You, you live your own life before God. Whether you're free or less free in your convictions, you live your life before God. And don't worry about what other people are doing. You can't look down on others. And you can't make rules for someone else's servant that the master of that person didn't make for them. So when you talk with each other and when you sit down to discuss and interact and pray and fellowship when you're together, listen, as a church, as the body of Christ, pursue what makes for peace. This discussion doesn't make for peace, ultimately, because it does boil down to a personal conviction or subjective belief about things. So it's not going to lead to peace. We won't find peace about our convictions. So stop focusing on them, he says. Pursue what makes for peace. That is, pursue what this kingdom is about. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't bog yourselves down with things that aren't the main thing. Don't do it. Look at the kingdom we're in now because of Jesus. It's, it's worth putting ourselves aside enough to not ever get in each other's way on purpose. Now he has some last words here for both the bold and the less bold. To the bolder in their freedom, he says in verse 20, not to destroy the work of God for the sake of food, period. Right? That's what he says. If, if you eating or drinking something with someone else's knowledge is going to hurt someone else in their faith, then you don't do it. You wouldn't do that. 
you can abstain from what you're free to have in those situations. You can abstain. You can use your freedom to serve the other person instead of yourself. In other words, he's saying, don't knowingly hurt or offend a brother and sister in Christ with your freedom. Don't do it. If you know that doing something in front of them will get at them, then don't do it. doesn't mean you can't do it categorically. But how you enjoy it, whatever it is, whatever you come to on a situation that's not a matter of the faith, don't do it in such a way that you're going to hurt another. Don't enjoy it in order to throw it in their face. And you think, well, who would do that? Well, we, we all do things like that. And just because a person is freer doesn't mean they aren't selfish. Doesn't mean they don't have struggles in their faith and might not be loving. Like nobody in Christ is free to say, yeah, I don't care. I don't care. Get mad. I don't care, right? Not, not over things like this. And then he repeats that objective doctrine, driving our personal freedoms here. But he says it in the positive this time. Everything is indeed clean. That, that's a different thing than saying nothing is unclean. It's not just that nothing is unclean in verse 14. It's that in verse 20, everything is indeed clean. This is what Jesus has done to the world. It's a huge doctrine. Everything is clean. doesn't mean there's no sin. It means in things like this, like remember the vision that Peter has three times because he wouldn't believe it and it was coming from heaven, from an angel, a voice from heaven. Don't call, on, don't call common what I've called clean, Peter. So this, this is how it relates to, namely, to food and drink. Everything's clean. You're fine to have it, whatever it is. But it's not clean for a believer to make another stumble by what he eats. That's not clean. That's sinful. In fact, in verse 21, forego your own freedom if you know that it will be hurtful and offensive to someone else. Not if they're going to judge me and look down on me. That, that's no if you're literally going to create an issue for their faith, then you, you don't need to talk about it. You, don't need, you, you should try not to do that in front of them or in a way that they know that's what you're going to be doing. As much as you can control, going back to Romans 12, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with everybody. And, and pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding is the same kind of command now as it relates to your convictions. This is the heart of Christ for one another. That we would forgo our own freedom and our own rights if we knew we would be hurtful and offensive to somebody else. That, that why does it, God's not commanding you that to save you. God is commanding you that so that you, you have the heart of Christ for each other. And then you would, okay, I understand that, but how does my freedom make somebody else stumble? He's coming to that. He's going to get to that. And it's a worthwhile question precisely because everything is indeed clean. And if everything is indeed clean, we should believe that and be okay with each other's freedom. That's true biblically. Everything is indeed clean, period. That comes from God. No one should be passing judgment on another for what they eat or drink. So why do I need to worry about what somebody else is thinking? Because we're living sacrifices now. We are not our own. This was part of last week's message. We're not our own. We were bought with a price. 
we all have to be mindful of this. If I know this thing I can enjoy without feeling guilty, would stab someone else in their heart, and if they were to do it, would make them feel guilty, then I can wait. I can do this in the privacy of my home. I can do this in the privacy of brothers and sisters in Christ who don't have an issue with this. And I can make sure if I'm somewhere or doing something that, that I'm not sinfully enjoying something by not caring if it hurts somebody else. We, we don't live like that. It doesn't mean we're not free. It means we first seek to serve each other, not ourselves. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Both of those things are true. All things are lawful. That's amazing. Not anything God has called sin. He's not contradicting Himself. But in such matters where under the law you couldn't, and now that Christ has come you can, all things are lawful in that sense, but not all things are helpful. You are free, but don't hurt other people on purpose. He's not telling those, again, who are able to enjoy their freedom a little more that they never can, right? He's not undoing the gospel promise here. You're actually not free, even though I said you're free. No, he's not doing that. The, the, the gospel doesn't give with one hand and take with another. It doesn't. It, you're free. Your sin is forgiven. You're going to be okay. There's no parentheses. There's no if. No. The minute you say if, you're in league with Satan. And you're preaching a false gospel. No, he's teaching those who are more bold in their freedom how to live together with those who are not now that we're new, now that we're living sacrifices to God. Which isn't some big ask. It's our reasonable act of worship. Now that the kingdom of which we're citizens of is one of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, because Christ has purchased us with His own blood, because Christ has forgiven all our sins and made us perfectly righteous before God. So freedom is great, it's cool, but it's still not Jesus. So we read in verse 22, the faith that you have, this one that can eat meat or drink wine freely, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. That's amazingly practical. This is very practical instruction. If if you have a faith in God that enables you to enjoy more of your freedom in Christ, that's wonderful. Enjoy it mainly between yourself and God. Thank Him that you can do this. Don't walk around with a glass of wine in front of people that can't drink and have the conviction that you shouldn't. Don't walk around them with wine. Isn't it great to be free in Christ unlike you nerds? No, you, you don't. We don't do that. And you can you you don't have to say it. Nobody would say it like that. But the way we act can absolutely say it like that. Don't throw it in other people's faces. Don't make them think they're less, because in the matter of convictions, they have some that are less bold than yours. That that doesn't even track well. This is where he pronounces that blessing about those who are freer, though. And with that, he segues into a final warning that does need to be made for those who are still too timid in the matters of freedom. It is there. There is a warning at the end of this passage to those who are afraid to be as free as Christ has made them. And look, this doesn't come from a goofball like me. This comes from Christ for you. 
from Jesus to his church. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Blessed is the one who, between him and God, he's not living this life of, oh, 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 can I, I don't, can I, can I not? But between God, thank you for this. Thank you for this meat that was originally sacrificed to idols, and now I can have this beautiful steak and thank you for it and praise, praise you for it. That's, you don't walk around, looks like some of us can have steak and some can't. And you don't do that with your attitude either. Or with a lack of love. Happy is the one who practices what Paul said in verse 14 and verse 20. That since nothing is unclean in and of itself, and everything God hasn't called sin is clean, if you can enjoy such things in light of this glorious truth about the goodness of God, do it. Just do it mindfully of your brothers and sisters. Enjoy those things mainly between yourself and God. But that goes both ways here. Because here's the rub. Okay, The tendency... What the tendency of the less bold is, in light of this passage, namely verses 13 through 24, what the tendency of the less bold is when they read this is to use this as a way to limit the freedom of others. That because I don't like this, you can't do it. And if you love me, you wouldn't do it. That's not what Paul is after here. That's flaunting your convictions like other people could flaunt their freedom. And there's implicit dangers in both sides here that both the free and the less free need to hear and submit to the Lord regarding. You shouldn't be a stumbling block to me, so you're not going to be able to drink. That's not biblical. You're going to be a stumbling block to me, so you shouldn't be able to go to these festivals and eat that meat. No. They're free to do those things. But Paul isn't teaching we're a stumbling block because we enjoy our freedom if we're the freer one. Paul is saying we're a stumbling block if we enjoy a freedom without being loving of others. So there's a way, apparently, that you can enjoy your freedom that is actually hurtful to somebody else's faith, and that you shouldn't do. We're commanded not to do. We can forgo our freedom sometimes for the sake of others and lose nothing. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not about convictions and personal beliefs. It's not about my freedom. It's about what God has done for us in Christ. To that extent, it's about my freedom. But we have what God has done for us in Christ, whether we eat meat and drink, for example, or not. But do take note of what he says to the one who doubts in verses 23 and 24. It's there. The one that is who is so overcome by the fear that if they were to do that thing, it would be sin and would destroy their faith potentially. Because that's how we get. When when we have a conviction that something is right and it is what God would have us do, and we believe it that strongly, if we mess up in that regard, we're going to question our entire Christian identity. Because we've built it on sand and not on Christ. It doesn't matter. It, 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 it may be a very good thing. A very, but but if, if you're building your identity on it, if you're, if you're building your whole Christianity, your whole relationship to God around things that the kingdom of God is not a matter of, it's sand. It's going to eventually crumble. Your own rule could kill you and kill your faith. That's what the law did to the Pharisees. 
it killed them. It twisted their minds. So, their, their minds twisted it so much that when they looked at Jesus, they saw a blasphemer. They saw a tax collector and a drunkard and a glutton when they looked at Jesus. They saw an enemy in a man who had come to be their friend and welcome them into the feast alongside everybody else. There, 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 there is a belief system about salvation behind that kind of thinking. That, that you, you really have, you just have to be so careful and you have to create all these convictions and laws so that you don't break the actual commandments. There's a belief system about salvation very subtly, sinisterly hiding underneath that. And we don't see it because we're sinners. Here's the truth of the matter, objectively. You are not condemned by what you eat or drink. You are not condemned by what you eat or drink. So if even though God has told you that, as He surrounds you with shouts of deliverance in Christ, not threats, not condemnation, not fear, and you still say, no, if, if I eat or drink that, I will bring condemnation on myself. I'm sinning. Then you are not listening to Jesus. And look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking down on you. There are areas where I am not listening to Jesus. We all do this. In context, he's talking about how convictions can so poison us against Christ and we don't even see it. It's not the way to live. It's not what we ought to be making the main thing. They're not. Like all the things we could put down on paper in a constitution or define ourselves by, don't make it a matter of rules and convictions, but of righteousness and peace and joy. Pursue what makes for peace. Don't put down as law what isn't a law. That doesn't make for peace. It doesn't make for mutual wealth building. It makes for despising people and passing judgment on one another. God isn't isn't abandoning you or casting you out because you have convictions you don't need to have. That's not what's happening. But you need to listen to the one who loves you so much. And you really need to take him at his word and then arrive at your convictions. They may change, they may not. But just... Make them for the right reasons. Don't make them because you're afraid. Don't make them because you think that if you have that, Christ won't be able to hold on to you. Or that He'll want nothing to do with you. Don't do that. Wherever you land on these things, don't do that. If, if you do, then... then you may not believe that you're fully justified by faith alone, apart from works. Maybe deep down inside, you believe that, that what Jesus does is get you to the starting line and wipes away the past and gives you the power to make it to the finish line by your own strength and your own will and your own desire. And so you make rules that God didn't even make just so you stay on the path and, and you, you don't need to do this. Listen to Paul in Galatians. 
who bewitched you? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the works of the flesh? No. No. And the Spirit doesn't work through the ministry of death, the law, to give us life. But through the gospel, the ministry of life, to give us life. So don't blame the Holy Spirit for making things that aren't Jesus make you think you'll stay in the faith. This isn't harsh. Like this isn't, this isn't the love of Christ for you. He's saying you're, you're free to make your convictions here where I've not called a thing sin. But, but don't do it because you're afraid. Right? So, so maybe you arrive at your conviction about alcohol, for example, because it's part of what the context is, eating meat, drinking wine. Maybe you say, look, I grew up in an alcoholic home, and my dad was a horrible drunk, and I want nothing to do with it. I don't want it in my house. I don't want it near me. Beloved, God bless you. There is nothing wrong with that. It's, that's okay. Like if for you, you're like, I can't even smell it. It makes me sick because of my past or because of, I struggled with it. Then so be it. Be at peace. You're not doing anything wrong. And other such reasons, right? Don't, don't be enslaved by thinking, I guess I don't really love Jesus because I, there, beloved, this is the world. There are smells that remind you of things and people and places you wish you had never gone and never known and never said. Like that's part of living in the fallen world. So if, if the world is hurt, if something in the world has hurt you so badly that you can't go near it or talk about it or enjoy it, don't feel condemned like you're less of a Christian. Just maybe that's, just know that Christ heals you of that too and covers your shame and covers your guilt and has addressed what has happened to you also at the cross. But that's different than saying, I just, I don't think I, I'm, you're allowed to do that. If God didn't say it, then it's not true. That's what, that's what's at stake here. Things like that, by the way, that's believing. So, so if you're, if you're making rules to make sure you don't, or that you have salvation, or that you keep salvation, then you actually believe that you're justified by faith and works to some degree. That, that's what that belief looks like in practice. Nobody says, I believe you're justified by faith and works. Nobody says that because we all know it's wrong. But if deep in your heart you've created all these guidelines for yourself to make sure that you're saved, that God hasn't made for you, then in some way you believe this is also necessary for my salvation. And look, Jesus has come to free us from that. That bondage, that, that the life of fear and condemnation that creates that you think God is surrounding you with threats and shouts of condemnation. If you do that, when in reality He's surrounding you saying, I've delivered you, I've delivered you, I've delivered you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. That's the gospel. So just make your decisions, beloved, and hold to them. But make them because of that, wherever you land. That the gospel is true. And I'm not saved by my works. I'm saved by grace through faith. That is going to shape your mind to be like Christ. And, and you, these are conversations that sometimes Christians will need to have. For the freer, sometimes you'll need to forego that for the sake of somebody else and not begrudge them for it. 
There will be times in your life when the freer one needs to say, I'm not going to do this because if I do, I'm really going to hurt that person. Then don't do it. And don't talk about it. Don't tell them, look, I didn't do this today because I didn't want to hurt your, your weak little sub-Christian feelings. Right? Which, again, you don't say it, but we you can imply that with tone. I just want you to know that I could have done this today and I didn't because I love you. Right? Just between yourself and God. Right? I've done that. We all do that. Things like rules and traditions lording over our faith and our consciences are the outward evidence that we're not resting in Christ alone for salvation, no matter what we say with our mouths. And the issue here is that sin comes from what is not faith. Why? What does that have to do with this passage? Right? Why does he say that here? Whatever doesn't come from faith is sin. The Bible's never said that elsewhere. It heavily implies it. That, you know, Abraham believed God and was that was counted to him for righteousness. So it's, it's there that faith isn't sinful and everything else is. But why here? For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Making rules where God has not is the very opposite of faith. It, 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 it's, it's eyes on self and on the rule, not on Christ and the cross. It doesn't matter how well we mean, how righteous we're trying to be, right? Or, or what good we hope to perform by making that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And by the way, don't trust your intentions as though they're always good and holy. They're coming from a wicked heart where the old Adam still lives. But when we make a rule because we're afraid to sin, we've not made that rule in faith. And very ironically, we're actually sinning when we abstain for that reason and refuse to be bold in our freedom. That's what the Bible teaches. Thus saith the Lord. So yes, in this section, the freer one should be loving and patient to the less free. Yes. No, the freer ones cannot pass judgment on the less free, no. But it is good to be free. And it is not great to be less free. Why? Because you're missing out? No. Because Christ has really set you free. That's what He did for you. You don't stand or fall before your pastor. I have no right, no authority to impose a single conviction of mine on you. None. And again, being a pastor doesn't give me that authority. I have the authority to proclaim to you that your sins are forgiven. That's about it. You don't stand or fall before me. You stand or fall before Jesus. So don't worry about what I think of you or my freedom. Just don't make your rules and convictions out of fear. Just don't. Perfect love casts out fear. And God loves you perfectly. This is the gospel. Christ crucified for your sins. 
Jesus is for you all day long.